Tyler. Yes. On a scale of one to 10, how likely do you think you are to survive an apocalyptic scenario? It is uh, 100% a 10. Honestly, anytime I'm bored in a church or a academic situation, my mind goes to how would I defend this place in the event of some sort of apocalyptic situation? So yeah, I feel good. But what's the sort of special skill you're bringing to the table? Like cool head under pressure, bow and arrow prowess, star-based navigation? No, nothing like that. I think fortifying the living situation would be a big one for me. Mm -hmm. I've thought a lot about where do we go? People like... They want to go to a place where there's a lot of food or there's a lot of mm. like, things you can use as weapons, but they forget about the entrances and exits to get out of. That's why they're all going to be zombified and they're I'm going to be gonna sitting make in my... It no, no, no. It's probably just going to be me and the few people who... The very few people who trust me to lead them through the zombie <laughs> apocalypse. I'm assuming the end of the world will need a podcast. So that's my <laughs> skill. Is that going to be hard? <laughs> From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a wintertime edition. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Tyler Huckabee. Welcome to the last episode for now of Apocryphon. Ah. On every episode of this show, we talk about a popular, influential, or at least lucrative Christian book from the 90s or 2000s. We'll talk about how it shaped American Christianity and our own personal faith journeys and how it's aged in our current dystopian Christian nationalist hellscape. On this episode, we're talking about Left Behind. Oh, finally. Last but not least. Mm, a remnant. <laughs> yeah. Was this a real tribulation for you to get through? <laughs> the reading? I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. Well, I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Left Behind, the apocalyptic thriller that launched a juggernaut of media from movies to video games to graphic novels to children's books. It was published in 1995 and followed in rapid-fire succession by sequels every year after until 2007. The novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins were, as everyone listening to this podcast certainly knows, massive bestsellers. According to Jenkins, in 2022, the books were still selling 15,000 copies a month, and that's... what added on to the 80 plus million copies already sold. 15,000 a month? A month. <laughs> a lot of books never sell that many copies in their lifetime. How can there be 15,000 people who haven't read this book out there <laughs> anywhere, let alone every month? Well, I bought one this month, so. <laughs> oh, okay. 14,999 to go. I'm going to find the rest of y'all. <laughs> These end times novels are based on a dispensational interpretation of theology, a pre-millennial eschatology, which includes, of course, the rapture.
which is where our books begin. So nice to finally have a use to stretch some of these these old like theology classes mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. were drilled into my head 20 some years ago, but now can sort of inform at the very least a podcast about left behind. And if that's all that that degree is good for then so be it. That's right. Good enough for me. What do you remember about this book, Tyler? I remember reading at least the first few of these books for sure. Left behind was a very big deal for a kid who really liked reading fiction, mm-hmm. but wasn't allowed to read a lot of like, grown-up adult fiction. And here comes this book that is sanctified, that you're allowed to read. And I think prior to this, the only really Christian fiction I'd read that wasn't sort of YA disposable BS was like the Frank Peretti stuff. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And then Left Behind it comes along and is this very, very big deal. And I remember reading the first one. Like when it came out. You read it when it came out. I think so. I'm I'm sure mm-hmm. like mom and dad bought it and it was laying around and I picked mm-hmm. it up. And it continued to be influential in my life because we keep going back to my college years, Moody Bible Institute. Uh, Jerry B. Jenkins is a proud alumnus of mm-hmm. Moody. I actually did not know that. There's a Jenkins dormitory on campus. And I think he ended up donating a pretty healthy amount of money to Moody. So it probably in some ways funded my college education, this book as well. We're all grateful. What a legacy that it really, (laughs) in so many ways, has shaped so many people's worlds. Well, I recently read it for the first time, as in I finished it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Real page turn. I, I remember this book mostly being of more of a piece with like, airport paperback thrillers mm-hmm. than any sort of serious literary. This was not Stephen King for Christians. This was more like Clive Cussler or one of those just guys who cranks him out. Am I remembering that right? Is that I fair? I thought so. Yeah. I mean, it does read like that. Maybe not as good and certainly slower and very interested in telling its readers about Jesus regularly. Sure. But yes, it's really trying to be a sort of Tom Clancy style novel, you know, you've got a journalist seeking the truth out there in the world and a, uh-huh. an airline pilot, which, you know, at the time was, I think, much more exciting than and very aspirational. Maybe yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is a time when being a journalist was considered like a pretty cool job somebody could have. Yes. They certainly make it sound like a cool job. And this is a world-renowned journalist who's climbed yeah, to the of top of his career by 30 and has already won a Pulitzer <laughs> and on and on and on and, and is recognized on airplanes by flight attendants. <laughs> so, <laughs> Was there a blueprint for this type of journalist? Because even at the height of journalism, know, like even during right? like Deep Throat, I don't think journalists were getting stopped no. on the plane. But excuse me, or do you work for the New York Times? Times. Yes. Well, in this case, the Global Weekly. Wow. It really was a different time. <laughs> so I, I listened to the audiobook. I also had a copy of the book laying in my apartment that every guest who has come by in the last two weeks has been <laughs> like, what is, that, why is this out and why are you reading this? Did you tell them you're like kind of exploring a new, like a religious shift? Yeah. Ahead of the wedding, you just kind of reground yourself in your religious roots. I wanted to make sure I was a, a true believer, you know? Uh, that, if anything, was the legacy of this book. Was, oh my gosh. Are you sure? 
Are you sure yes. you're ready for this? Yes, because a bunch of people who thought they were Christians got left behind. There's a pastor, right? Isn't that a yes, m- pretty major character? A pastor who thought for sure he was a Christian, so much so that the rapture then happens. He's like, oh, it did happen. I knew it all. I just, I wasn't committed. And I, I don't remember the full concert. That's a real jump scare. This could be you. Yeah. It felt a little convoluted to me. Didn't you read it yesterday? Yeah. But his explanation for why he wasn't taken (laughs) in the rapture felt weird to me. But it was like he took too much advantage of grace and forgiveness and Uh, didn't actually change. He wasn't a full Christian hedonist, to borrow a, a John Piper phrase. Right. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. That was a real terror, I think, that probably was already there. We've talked about this a little bit, the the fear of being left behind that is really drilled into you if you grow up in this premillennial rapture theology world. But left behind made it very palpable by turning it into a horror story a little bit about this is the faith that awaits everybody who isn't committed enough. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I have like between the ages of eight and 14, probably 15 conversion experiences. Just oh, yeah. to like, it's not going to hurt to put another coating of paint on this thing just in case. Yeah. I mean, it definitely played up that fear that your salvation might not be legit and yeah. uh, you may not have done it right and your motivations might have been a little off. There's also some weird tropes. There's like, they mentioned Christians who drink alcohol, you know? <laughs> really? Uh, like, there's like a lot of judgment <laughs> on some different things. That slipped my mind. It was like drinking and lust. But like our pilot is like considering an affair at the beginning uh-huh. of the novel. But he doesn't do it because like he can't be a true anti-hero, you know? He's just like, he's contemplating it, you know? He can't be a bad guy, but he can't be a full Christian yet. He needs to be a a sympathetic figure. And if he had actually cheated, nobody would be rooting for him to actually make it through the tribulation. Yeah. I mean, our readers can't go that far. It's really funny reading this now, how I'm like reminded of a bunch of sort of like 90s evangelical stereotypes about the world. Like the book talks a lot about the crazy Californians and their wild (laughs) ideas about uh, Martians. And of course they're so silly to buy into that. And they just love their tabloids over there in California. (laughs) Meanwhile, we, the the, the smart rational ones are the Mm -hmm. ones who are talking about people disappearing (laughs) into the sky because they believe the right things just ahead of some Middle Eastern Satan figure who will be fulfilling a 2,000-year-old prophecy at mm-hmm. long last yeah, that has right. been written about in the book. Right. The book goes <laughs> to a lot of pains to talk about how rational our two main male characters are. And so that's why it's so crazy that they're believing this. You know, like, I mean, it's like, it really goes to pains to talk about, like, our pilot is so rational and he's so logical and he's got a technical scientific mind. Sure, because he's a pilot. Right. This is why it's so compelling, the evidence for Jesus. Uh-huh. Same with the journalist, I suppose, right? right because this was before journalists were bad guys in the, right. in the Christian culture wars. So this is obviously a person who is like a just the facts type person who would only be compelled to believe it was a rapture if there was no other rational explanation. Exactly. You know, I think as a reader, we're supposed to buy into it more because 
it's not just silly women believing this, you know. So. <laughs> Although there are, as I recall, quite a few silly women. Well, there's a vapid silly woman in the first novel. I don't know about later ones because I okay. did not get to those. And then there's like the rational daughter who, of course, ultimately accepts Christ. But anyway, it's a ride. I recently took it. And I guess we'll talk about the amillennialism and premillennialism and postmillennialism and eschatology and dispensationalism and that whole word salad and how it's managed to have a, a fairly profound and very real effect on today's geopolitics mm-hmm. here over the next few minutes. But first, pop quiz. So, Tyler, you've read the book. I'm just assuming uh-huh. you've watched all the movies, probably played I've the seen video a few games. <laughs> multiple times, have played the video game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm assuming that you will not be left behind by this quiz. <laughs> Already are. I'm worried now because I'm realizing how much of this I've forgotten. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, there's a lot at stake here. Yeah, my eternal soul. Take it seriously. I'm ready. All right. Does this book pass the Bechdel test? As in two women characters talk to each other about something that's not a man. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Named um... characters. Um... I don't know for sure, but to my recollection, I'm going to say it does not. It's a little bit of a trick question because is Jesus the man they talk Jesus about. Jesus is the man they talk about, <laughs> 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 or if you or God, but also like God is okay. definitely yeah, referred well, to I guess as we a can he. Let it in. So. We'll let it in. Jesus is my boyfriend. <laughs> Youth group rules. All right. It was not for that. It barely passes for that. <laughs> okay. <'Cause>, okay. <laughs> all right. What city? do our main characters live in the pilot and the pastor and eventually the journalist i don't remember you should mr moody okay is it chicago yes of course it is all right that's awesome (laughs) for some reason in my mind it was new york but i don't know why i thought that the journalist lives in new york to begin with sure he's a journalist yeah, but then moves to the more pure Midwestern. Yeah, at least you're closer to some of that Midwestern energy. Yeah. No one's going to cheat on their wives out there. <laughs> okay. What country is the Antichrist from? Oh. And is also president of at the beginning. Okay. I'm going to guess Jordan. Mm-mm. Is it, am I in the Middle East? Am I in the right? No. No, not even. No, it's not Middle Eastern. Is it some sort of like Eastern European, it one is. of those weird... It's an Eastern European country. Is it like Latvia or something? It's Romania. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. It sounds so sinister. <laughs> Romania. Yes. Then they also go to pains to talk about how his heritage, though, is Roman. Oh. Uh, because that's somehow like predicted in Revelation or is something. That but it's one of okay. like the big like... <gasps> moments in the book you know where they're like but revelation says that this person is supposed to be from rome or something and then they like do this digging and find out that his lineage is yeah anyway are rational heroes they can't be turned away from the truth I love a paperwork movie, you know? Oh, sure. Where there's all this investigation and stuff. So that's the paperwork movie part of this novel is like (laughs) trying to like decipher how current events of the day are like in Revelation, you know? Uh Sure. That sounds kind of fun. But it's all pretty obvious. I'm down with the montage. (laughs) All right. Last one. What is the name of the special team 
our main characters start at the end of the novel. It's Tribulation Force. Yes, that's right. I remember that very clearly. Yeah, <laughs> it's so dumb. You can't forget so it. Dumb. It'll be etched on your mind forever. That's so <laughs> they dumb. decide they need a name like they're the Avengers or something. Yes. Like they need this name. <laughs> yes, and what is this special team doing? This Tribulation Force? Now that I don't remember. I suppose just like telling people about Jesus, staying safe from the Antichrist. Yeah, and... And the paperwork, like deciphering sure. of the revelations that are happening. And oh, I'm not okay. actually sure. Maybe I would find out in the second novel, which I believe is called Tribulation Force. But yeah, they're all really excited to be part of it, though, <laughs> to have a mission. Can you imagine our very rational, cool journalist and <laughs> airline pilot going to the girls for the first time being like, guess what, guys? We, we got the name. <laughs> we got a name. And you're going <laughs> to love it. Sit down. Sit down, honey. What we have to do is fight him, all of us, together. Form our own tribulation force and spread God's word. <laughs> all right. And they're called the tribulation force because the tribulation, a period of seven years after the rapture, is about to start. Right. So they need to be a force. Mm-hmm. To survive. All right. I'm going to give you like a 90%. You missed one. Yeah. I really didn't know what country. It's good to know that he's going to be Roman, just right. for my own sake here out in the real world. So even though I only passed with a 90%, what I gained cannot be measured in a paper grade. You're welcome. So why did we pick this book? When we were first trying to go to this list of books, this one is a little bit of an outlier because it is mm -hmm. fiction. I think the only reason I really pushed for it is because you said you'd never read it. And I really <laughs> wanted to have this conversation that we're having right now. It landed in that time where I was like too cool for school, you know? And so like this was kind of embarrassing to me, the Left Behind series, which remains true to this day. That hasn't changed. No. The last attempt at a movie starred Nicolas Cage. It had right. an impact. I think that was kind of in the nadir of his career, but we've had a small cage assance. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe in some ways inspired by it. Like people were like, we got to get Nicolas Cage out of these Christian movies. <laughs> he deserves better than this. But yeah. I remember very clearly I was working at the relevant offices at the time and we just couldn't believe it. Like to be covering Christian pop culture at a time when Nicolas Cage was getting gassed in a left behind movie felt really cosmically significant. Yeah. And it was... A remake, right? It wasn't even like an original. Yeah. Its relevance is still really, really palpable, even as the book has become kind of a joke. But mm -hmm. what it did, as much as any other book we've talked about, had a very explicit impact on what evangelicals believe, especially about the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And that belief has come to really drive a lot of our views about politics, especially our foreign policy. And you have a lot of people making really important decisions about what we do in the Middle East, kind of based on the things they read about in Left Behind. Whether or not the line is quite that straight, I think you can draw some sort of line there. Absolutely. Also, a ton of suspicion of the United Nations. Sure. Which I had kind of forgotten about that as like a big evangelical thing, like the suspicion of this one world government kind of thing. Sure. That's why we can't, <laughs> we can't really fully participate in the United Nations. But it's also weird because they, you want to, because you want the end of the world to happen. Mm -hmm. There's a real duality to it. This also landed like pre-Y2K, but it was sort of in the ramp up to the end of the uh -huh. millennium, which there was certainly a lot of, anticipation, fear. 
but also maybe a little morbid excitement among some Christians that the end of the millennium would also usher in the end times. So I think there was a little bit of that going on. Most evangelicals I grew up around knew that the Bible said, you know, nobody knows the day or the hour. It Mm -hmm. could happen at any time. You can never know. But I think there's also this idea that like, but it would make a lot of sense if it was (laughs) January 1, 2000. That would be kind of a neat trick if that's how God decided (laughs) to do things. If our computers turned against us. Well, yeah, yeah. And you also had, it was early internet. So like maybe the internet is the Antichrist or maybe Mm -hmm. computers are. There were a lot of new potential villains in the wings as our global awareness. We started to just be aware of more of the world through cable news and through the dawn of online activity. That was another funny thing to me in the book was how how everybody just seemed to be watching the news all the time. Was it like in the TV when somebody's like in a bar and they're like, hey, can you turn that up? Like, because the, the news story just happens to uh-huh. be perfect. Like right there. There's also like a lot of anxiety about the mark of the beast around that time too. Like, remember, like it could be in your sure. credit card. It could be in your PIN number. What if it's not a tattoo on your forehead? It's something in the internet. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, but this is a word that I feel like we need to discuss a little bit because it is sort of like heady biblical theology. Mm-hmm. This was about the time I learned about dispensationalism. And mm. I didn't more. know what that was until college when I had to start passing tests. Moody was a very dispensational school. Imagine that. You had to sign a statement saying you were dispensationalist to Did graduate. Did you really? So, oh, yeah. it was That was a big deal. Wow. I was added while I was there. Maybe that's the mark of the beast come to think. I mean... Did Jenkins have a, some influence on that? That's a good question. I don't know. We can name a dorm after me, but you have to add this to your belief. And everybody has to read Left Behind to get to the... <laughs> <laughs> All right, educate us. Well, I've, I want to be careful here, but because there's like a good faith way to put it and a bad faith way mm. to put it. But maybe the good faith way to put it would be that there are different eras of what it means for God to save a person from hell and send them to heaven. And through most of the Old Testament, that was the covenant with Israel, where if they followed this covenant, then they would be Mm -hmm. saved. Mm -hmm. But starting in the New Testament with Jesus, that starts to shift a little bit. And the Christian church basically takes the place of Israel through belief instead of through the covenant that God made with Abraham. And there's more dispensations than just that in a true dispensational framework, but that's maybe the cleanest way to put it. And Mm -hmm. it's left behind pulls from that very, very explicitly to advance its plot forward. So post-rapture is like a new dispensation? Yeah. Right up until the rapture is the dispensation we're in right now, where Mm -hmm. if you believe in Jesus, then you become a Christian. Either when you die, you go to heaven, or at some point, everybody who's dead gets taken to heaven or you get raptured. Then come the rapture. After that, you're in the tribulation era. And Mm -hmm. that dispensation is a very different kind of... You can still maybe... I think you have time in there, probably what the tribulation force is trying to do. second chance, yeah. Like, we missed our first go-around, but... If we can make it through this, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And then after that is the the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, where right. he reigns on earth for a thousand years, which is the next dispensation. Right, which is where we're getting into sort of also like premillennialism, which is uh-huh. a certain framework for an eschatology, which is like an idea of how the world ends. Yeah. And we probably don't have to spell it out too clearly, but just to be clear, 
there's a lot of anti-Semitism really baked into yes. dispensationalism, which to my recollection is not dealt with in the book at all. But this does kind of require throwing the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and the Jewish religion under the bus mm-hmm. in a really serious way. And saying, in fact, that God also threw them under the bus and was like, enough of you guys. Now it's time for my new favorite people. Yes. According to Left Behind's interpretation of scripture, which I'm assuming is fairly parallel to dispensational, premillennial and interpretations like 140,000 or 144,000 Jews convert. Yeah, yeah, something like to that. To the true religion, to Christianity. I mean, there's there's a lot that has to happen in Israel in this theology. There's a lot of, you know, Jews have to be in charge of Jerusalem. They have to have sovereign control and uh, the temple is rebuilt on top of the Dome of the Rock, mm-hmm. which is currently impossible because of course, that is currently occupied. So this is where we kind of get into some of the ways that this like premillennial theology has driven a lot of foreign policy around Israel and support for Israel. But it's not without this dark side of like, actually, Mm -hmm. Israel is ultimately going to be destroyed and only the Christians are the good guys. The most like explicit, maybe practical way of this working out for a Christian dispensationalist would be America should support Israel in its current campaign against Palestinians because we want them to have full total control over the nation of Israel as it was redrawn up in the 40s. And then Jesus can come back. Mm -hmm. That effectively makes the Jewish people just sort of useful tools Mm -hmm. for the Christians to win this not not necessarily because they love and care about the Jewish people so much, but because they just want to see what happens in Revelation come to pass. I don't know how many Christian Zionists could spell that out as clearly as that, but probably if you were to lay it out on a map, that is what you are asking for. I mean, maybe they can't spell it out that clearly, but there's this sort of, well, you know, the Bible says that Israel uh, is supposed to have control of Jerusalem. You know, uh, like there's this sort of, well, God supports Israel. And I, I hear that a lot. And then if you probe very far into it, there's sort of a, well, that's just the way, you know, Revelation says that has to be the case. But it's it's not really robust. It's clearly like maybe they read Left Behind or maybe they heard something preached on this because it does get preached on or just referenced, you know, we we need to support Israel. The Bible says this or that. It's kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like I have heard a number of people in evangelical circles reference that in some way since October 7th. 100%. I've seen a lot of that. And I've written about this quite a bit just on my own. I've looked pretty hard for data about American Christians' reason for supporting Israel, Mm -hmm. which American Christians do to an overwhelming degree. Mm. Oh, yeah. But it is a little hard because when you start talking about motivations or reasoning behind it, things just get so nebulous and Mm -hmm. and strange. So kind of like you said, when you push them on this, it tends to be kind of like, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And I tend to think for a lot of them, it's just, well, Israel's in the Bible Mm -hmm. and they seem like they're the good guys there for the most part. So that's why we support them here. And there's probably also a little bit of Islamophobia in there. Like, well, Palestinians Mm -hmm. are bad guys. They're Muslims. They're the bad guys. So to the extent that dispensationalism has been a factor, I think it was probably quite instrumental 
in formulating pro-Israel sentiment mm-hmm. among America and, and Christian Zionism. There's not really a nice way to say this. The average American evangelical's understanding of eschatology is not super well thought out. I think there is an, a very explicit and sort of sinister plot that is assumed on the part of a lot of American Christian Zionists that I don't think is actually there. Now, that doesn't make it any less destructive because I often no. think it has been. It has ended up being quite damaging, particularly for the Palestinian people, as we've seen since the terrorist attack on October 7th in Israel. But I don't think they're playing 12-dimensional chess or anything like that for the most part. No, but I think there's a danger in how implicit it's become and just this assumption that has its roots in this eschatology, even if it's not something that anybody's given a lot of thought to. Like, I certainly never got this as a kid growing up in an evangelical church. Nobody sat down and said, here's what amillennialism is. Here's what premillennialism is. Here's what postmillennialism is. This is why we believe this. This is, you know, like, I never got that. I just got, like, the rapture will happen. And... Israel must control Jerusalem and there will be an antichrist and there will be a mark of the beast. And here, watch this movie about the thief in the night. You know, I mean, it was just, Uh it was just like in the air so much so that like I knew it without ever having been like really taught it. And I do wonder if I had sat down and thought about it, just tried to write out for myself all this Mm -hmm. stuff earlier, if it would have struck me as a little strange or a little off or or a little evil, even how this was treating Jewish people. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know that it would have. It had to be explained to me by other people smarter than myself down the road. And I'm still, in many ways, realizing how much anti-Semitism kind of comes preloaded in the American evangelical doctrinal milieu. Indeed. But that's a big one that is, like we keep saying, had very, very real, and I think for the most part, pretty damaging, at least in recent years, pretty damaging impacts on geopolitics. Let's talk about what's in this book. Let's talk about the plot. But first, a shout out from our sponsors. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. From the nuns, N-U-N-S, to the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, RNS covers religion like none other. And if you like what we're doing at Save by the City or here on Apocryphon, let us know. Throw us a rating or a review. I know I say this every week, but I really mean it. Giving us a review goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show and it means a lot to us so head on over to apple spotify wherever you listen to your podcast and tell us what you think and if you have some suggestions for books you'd like to see us cover well we'd love to hear them for any future episodes we might be doing our little mini series might be coming to an end but don't worry this is not the last of apocryphon so please do send us some ideas shoot us an email at sctcpodcast at religionnews.com we'd love to hear from you I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary. In a series of inspiring conversations, celebrating our diversity, and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Let's talk plot. What happens in this book? It all begins where all great stories begin. On an airplane. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of like the four great plots. Man versus man. Man versus nature. 
man versus airplane. And in this airplane, a pilot contemplates an affair, that's right, with a flight attendant. Mm. He's pocketing the ring and going for it. <laughs> and his passengers are like asleep on the plane. That's where it starts. We talked about the characters a little bit, but who are who are our main players here? All right. We're on the plane. We're moments away from the rapture. And we're introduced to three of our main characters. Rayford Steele. The names are so good. <laughs> I'm right, looking so. at the list of names that you've written down here. And <laughs> so full good. credit to Jerry Jenkins. These are awesome. Rayford Steele, a man of steel, flying a tube of steel in the air. He's rational. He's logical. Uh-huh. He's good looking. Sure. He's a man of character, but at the moment he's tempted. And the justification he gives us for why he's tempted by this flight attendant 15 years his junior is because his wife, who still looks good even at the age of 40. That would hurt a little. I'm glad you led with still looks good instead of the age of 40 because I would have written her off entirely. (laughs) But she's gotten too religious. She's become (sighs) a religious fanatic ever since she started going to this church. And he can't deal. It's like, you're not that hot. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) She's taken to preaching to him because she really wants him to get saved. Okay. The flight attendant, the temptress, is named Hattie Durham. Mm Mm-hmm. She's also beautiful, sure, but she's a little vapid, a little shallow. So this isn't an intellectual affair. No, he's only physically attracted to her. And then we have on the plane, in first class, our intrepid journalist, seeker of truth, Cameron, a.k.a. Buck Williams. He gets nicknamed Buck because he's always bucking traditions, you know, scooping <laughs> sure. people. And... It's a normal kind of nickname that people get, for sure. That's <laughs> how it happens. colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who all resent him. People keep trying to give me that same nickname around here. <laughs> how old is Buck supposed to be? 30. Insane. I don't know. He's won a Pulitzer. He's sure. also gets assigned the Newsmaker article of every year, which... Is apparently supposed to be their biggest article of the year and really exciting. And I don't know any journalist that would be that excited to basically do an interview, but... It's like interviewing Taylor for People of the Year or something right, like that. Right, right. Those are our main characters on the airplane. And then later, to be introduced to us, newly saved Pastor Bruce Barnes, who didn't make it into the rapture, but, you know believes now he's kind of got all the resources to immediately become a great christian of course yeah and he knows everything about the rapture and he had this basically like the storage of sanctification that he was saving up for just this eventuality and then as soon as the rapture happened he was able to press go and speed run through like five years of character development yes right totally he also could press play on a video that his former pastor who was raptured made before the rapture in case of the rapture. So that also explains a lot. Maybe we should do that. It's like an envelope marked like (laughs) in case case of rapture. rapture. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) And it totally starts out with, if you're watching this, then I assume that I am gone and you have been (laughs) left behind. All right. Then we've got Chloe Steele, the beautiful, smart, intelligent, 
daughter of Rayford Steele, who's so much like him, which is why she did not get raptured along with her mother and her younger brother. Too much like him. Yeah, exactly. Is she like a college kid? Yeah, she's a college kid. Oh, well, no wonder she didn't get raptured. At Berkeley. Oh, my... So the the liberal professors, the blue-haired they-thems up in Berkeley, like, twisted her away from getting raptured. (laughs) Okay. And last but not least, we have Nikolai Carpathia. Yeah, the Antichrist. There you go. You knew it from the name. As I recall, they try to make it this big revelation when it actually (laughs) happens. And it's like, well, he is the only, like, kind of vaguely Eastern European character in here. So I'm going to guess... Mm, feel pretty yeah. safe guessing he's the antichrist saying this name out loud is bringing to mind he has some sort of like magic gun that he uses to like assassinate somebody at the un is this correct mm-hmm. yeah i mean it is a little bit of a spoiler but it's not really a magic gun he sort of acquires it in a magical sort of way like in a mind control way he seems to have mind control powers unless you're saved oh the christians can see through it Is that biblical? Like, is the Antichrist going to be able to get us all in a trance? I don't remember that part in the Bible. It's a nice plot thing, like the purple man and Jessica Jones. It's also convenient for the plot. Thankfully, Buck gets saved moments before Nikolai Carpathia tries to hypnotize him. So then he's Uh, not able to, but he thinks that he does. Somebody witnessing to him or does he just do a little internal? He goes into the bathroom. Ahead of time. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, he's been preached to by Chloe, who's clearly turning into a love interest, as well as Bruce Barnes, as well as Rayford Steele, who, you know, was just such a man of compelling reasoning and logic. And his description was so, so measured that it really moved our journalist. I have to say, when you say all these characters' names out loud, they kind of all sound like their own left-behind porn parody versions (laughs) of each other already. (laughs) I know. Okay, so that's a quick summary of the plot. Reading it as a very well, widely read person, how did you find like the writing? Real on the nose. Okay. I listened to it as an audiobook uh-huh. so that I could do other things while I was reading it. I think they didn't get Orson Welles this time around. No, they didn't. Yeah. But uh, for a thriller, it's pretty slow. Like I don't know that I would have finished a chapter at like, 12 a.m. and been like, I've got to read another one, you know? (laughs) It was hard not to roll my eyes a lot of the time. It's trying so hard. Why do you think it was so popular? It's still moving 15,000 units a month. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty formulaic. It's very easy to know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. It's very black and white that way. Sure. It's got that thing that certain books like that have where you as the reader know the truth and you're like, excited for the characters to discover it you know so i think the there's some of that one step ahead mm-hmm. of the of the mm-hmm. characters uh-huh. that's kind of interesting and i think i mean the christian audience is huge in america right. and right. i think especially in the 90s was genuinely pretty untapped in that way in terms of reaching out with an yeah. explicitly christian message that would make them feel like they were being represented I'm not saying Christians were this ignored market or anything like that. Sure. But in terms of having actual biblical theology as a major plot mm-hmm. point, that was not happening very much. And when it was happening, it was pretty poorly funded. So it just didn't get a lot of distribution. And Left Behind was able to give this massive audience 
the feeling of like, oh, finally, we're being paid attention to. So they're making something for us. And that probably carried it a lot further than maybe the actual writing itself did. It's funny for me to think about how I might have accepted it, you know, as like a 15-year-old or 13-year-old reader or whatever. And I think that there were a lot of ways I would have cheered it on, you know, and I would have been very excited when they became Christians. And Mm -hmm. it fit, you know, the way that I wanted it to be, to be a Christian. Like I wanted scientifically minded people to believe, you know, or heroic journalists. You know, I think I would have, I would have been excited about that and proud of that. I think it really did tap into some underlying anxieties around, like we talked about, like sort of globalization and things that did feel science fiction-y that were happening, like the internet. Mm -hmm. People were primed for apocalyptic thinking. And as a Christian, this made you the good guy and this made some things make sense that maybe felt a little out of control. I think that at this time in particular, the end times was such a huge point of leverage for getting people into and keeping them into the church. Mm. When I became a Christian, it was the main reason. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to be raptured when the rapture came. That was such a powerful tool and narrative. And this really gave it a body, basically. This Mm -hmm. gave it a structure that you could lean on and be like, yep, that's exactly why I'm doing this. So you had this, like you're talking about this ascending interest in end times, especially for teenagers. That's the most interesting part of the Bible. They're talking about dragons and monsters. There's a naked lady riding some sort of like sea beast. These are all things that you want to know more about. And Left Behind kind of did a lot of pastor's jobs for them and say, well, here's what it all means. However, imperfectly, it did it. And it takes this idea of salvation, which is not super narratively interesting in a story, but it gives it real stakes. If you Mm -hmm. become a Christian in this, then you either are raptured or you can apparently resist the Antichrist's hypnotic mental powers. All that works in concert to really draw the audience in and keep them around for 12. But how many bucks did we end up getting out of this? More than that. I think there's like... 16. They ended up coming out with three prequels. Wow. We'll get to those next time. (laughs) You can keep reading them. We'll just keep coming back for more Left Behind stuff. All right. Favorite time of the podcast. Apocryphon or apocryphal? You know, I think I'm actually going to give this one an apocryphal. (laughs) I think it's done a lot of damage in the world. It's hurt a lot of people. What a great note to end on. I guess we'll wrap it up. Well, we're not done. Oh, yeah, I guess we're not. Just like in any good novel, this podcast has a twist ending. We will return to normal Saved by the City programming in a couple weeks, but we've had so much fun recording Apocryphon that we'd like to keep doing it. So our plan, dear reader, is to turn this into a little bit of a monthly book club. So Tyler... You're going to pop into our feeds once a month. I'll be around. More details coming soon. But our plan is to keep this going with the many suggestions that you guys are sending our way and some we're doing our own. We'll probably try to announce the book ahead of time to give anybody who wants to follow along and read themselves a little time to catch up. And then 
trying to have a place where we can host some discussions about it too and how other people are feeling about it and let you weigh in on your own experiences with these books. And this has been really fun. It's been cool to see the response. I really appreciate the good words that we've gotten about this. I hope those keep coming in. It makes me excited to see what else we can find. We hopefully bringing on some more guests besides just Roxy and me too. So keep your eyes peeled to this feed for more about who some of those people might be. Tyler, it's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. I love reading books. I don't love reading these books necessarily, but I do love reading, <laughs> but I love reading the books and talking about them. Apocryphon is a project of Saved by the City and is a religion news service production. Senior producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham and Julia Windham. Chaz Russo put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme at music. We are Roxy Stone. And Tyler Huckabee. The sun has come and we've been left behind. Oh man. Behind us.